Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbert. And we're going to go three rounds with Satan today. That is our title, Three Rounds with Satan. We'll consider Luke chapter 22, verses 30, 31 through 34. And for those who are not familiar with this passage, it is when the Lord tells Peter that Satan has asked for Peter that he might sift him as wheat. And so we'll get this in its context. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31, says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. So this moment between the Lord and one of his apostles, the apostle Peter, uh, very interesting. The Lord here seems to pull him to the side and, and say, Simon, Simon. You know, Jesus is going to address someone and he says their name twice. Um, it's interesting to me that he's saying, I want to say something to you. You need to listen closely to what I'm saying to you. And, and he says, Satan has asked, uh, I mean, what would that feel like to Jesus, you know, obviously knowing the spiritual realm and all things, he's giving you an inside track to what Satan's been doing. Yeah. You think Satan has asked to get me, <laughs> uh, and you know, as you said, this in shows us how important this was to Jesus. This is a huge moment in Peter's life. It's a, it's a turning point either way. Uh, he's either going to be defeated or he's going to come out of this stronger. And so Jesus has prayed for him. Uh, it's interesting when I was studying this, I'm not sure I knew this before, but when Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, that you is referring to all the apostles there. It's a plural. Uh, without getting into all the technicalities, it's you in general. So Satan has asked for you all to be sifted as wheat. But I prayed for you, Peter, in the singular. So he especially pays attention to Peter because Peter's going to go beyond what the other apostles do. Everyone forsakes him. They all run and leave Jesus. But Peter denies him three times. None of the other apostles did that. Mm. And so this brings Jesus' attention onto Peter both now and later because this, this creates an ongoing situation that Jesus needs to deal with before the gospel work can go forward. And it's amazing to me that Jesus, as you said, this specific attention now, the time spent with Peter to say these things to him, Jesus is on his way to be crucified. And how, I mean, how many of us in the natural sense, I'm not worried about what's going on with Peter right now. If I, if I know that my end is, is, has come, he says, my hour has come. And, and, and yet the love that the Lord shows here to, to look to Peter, to turn to Peter, to talk to him about what's coming, as you said, uh, 
and what Satan has requested of and, and then what Jesus has done about it. You know, all of this is, is in the light of the crucifixion uh, coming and, you know, the trial and all the things Jesus will go through. And, and yet he's still spending time with Peter. And I think to me that says two things, at least two major things. One is that his care and concern for the apostle Peter, he loved, he loves him. But the second one is his care and concern for the gospel that he's, you know, he's dying so the gospel can be preached. And so now it, it does demand his full attention. This is very, very important to the Lord. We see that because he's addressing it. But if Peter were to stumble and, and not have any encouraging words after that stumble from the Lord, who knows what he would have done, you know, because Judas didn't get the encouragement, you know, after you betray me, uh, I've prayed this or that. That wasn't there for Judas. Jesus says to Judas, what you do, do quickly uh, when, when he sends him off. So, um, but I think here the, the, the preservation of the gospel is, is going to, a lot of this is going to come through Peter. And so Jesus, in this moment, this dark moment of his life, turns to Peter and says, I've prayed for you. It just blows my mind, the, the love. Yeah, to think that Jesus' response to one of his who's going to suffer through a really terrible trial is to pray for him. <laughs> uh, it's like was pointed out uh, by someone. We, we, uh, we will pray to God. That's our part of conversing with him. We'll pray to Jesus. But here's Jesus praying for us, for one of his. And it does show that deep concern. Jesus is involved with Peter and how he feels and how he's going to deal with the situation. It reminded me of when Stephen was confronting the Sanhedrin and he was in danger because he was strongly rebuking them. It's, the, the text tells us that he looked into heaven and saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. That's the only time that I can recall in the New Testament after Jesus' resurrection where he's described as being standing. Right. Every other time he's sitting at the right hand. That's right. But here with Stephen in danger, Jesus is concerned. He is standing mm. and paying attention to what's going on. So one thing I think he might be dealing with when in warning Peter about this situation is after Peter has gone through this, he, he does deny Jesus three times. Uh, I believe it's Luke tells us that right after the cock crowed, Jesus looked at Peter, which must have just gone right to his soul. Yeah. And he went out and wept bitterly. He probably felt alone at that moment that he had denied Jesus. He's not with the other apostles. He's all by himself. And he is really physically, and he would think spiritually, alone in his grief. But Jesus has told him, I have prayed for you, which would imply to me, Jesus isn't just going to walk away from him. He's going to be there. And, and we see that literally he is there for Peter later on. But uh, it shows that, that care on the part of God and how he looks at the way that we respond to things. Yeah. When we need help, he's there to give it. That's right. 
And so when, when Jesus comes to Peter, obviously or they're, they're talking and he says, Satan has asked, uh, we don't want to miss that because it shows no. that, that Satan, well, God has superiority in this situation because Satan has to get permission. He's not asking because he can take it if he wants it. He's asking because he has to. And so God is superior. And, and, and in the next statement Jesus makes, it's obvious that permission was granted because he says, now, after he asked, I've been praying. Yeah. And it was, he, he, said, he doesn't say, I prayed that the devil would be smashed into bits. I, I, I prayed that you, know, that you would be safe from all harm no matter what because you're my favorite. There's none of that there. I've prayed for you that you, your faith would not fail. And, and, and the second part of that prayer is that when you return to me. And so, again, with hearing the words of Jesus who knows all things, he says to Peter, when you return, he knows what's going to happen. He's speaking in terms of reality as he speaks to Peter. So uh, I think it, for me, I'm like, just, just listen closely, Peter. Listen to what he's saying. I don't think Peter caught on to the when you return to me. Because it was just stated, right? I mean, we, it's hard for us to pick up on those things. As you and I read it, we're like, come on, Peter. Don't forget about that. Jesus says when, not if. But the best thing I can do with that is apply it to myself as I read Scripture and say what he has said is absolutely intentional. It means what he intended it to mean. And I should take hold of every word. Because, you know, I, I watch Peter and I say to him, please, uh, let this be where your your faith and your confidence is that Jesus says you're coming out of this. Yeah, it, I'm thinking too in looking at this. You know, as, as we've noted, Jesus is going to allow the sifting, which that describes a violent shaking. Mm-hmm. It's it's not something that's pleasant or easy to go through. This is going to be tortuous, but he's going to allow it, and that is something that God is consistently attacked on. Why does God allow suffering? Why doesn't God take away this or that or the other thing? Well, they're looking at God in the way they want him to be. Uh, They're looking for ways to attack God. But we do need to look at the question, why would Jesus permit this sifting on, on Peter's part? Why does he allow it? Well, just think about it for a moment. Why do you sift wheat? Wheat's a valuable commodity. It's food. But you just can't pick it right off of the head and chomp it down. You've got to get the the husk out off the outside of the grain. It's got to be sifted. It's got to be threshed in order to get the chaff off of it. So wheat is valuable, just like Peter and everybody else who's ever lived and will live is valuable to God. But the wheat has to be sifted in order for it to be useful. It's not as useful as it can be until it goes through the sifting. And that's, I think, what Jesus is getting at here. I pray that your faith doesn't fail. And Jesus knew Peter's character. He knew the depth of his devotion. So he, he was confident in Peter, just like God was confident in Job when he allowed the devil to, to test him. Uh, so when you return, strengthen your brethren. Yeah. He's not going to be in a position to fulfill that role of strengthening his brethren until he gets sifted. That valuable wheat will now become useful, 
And we see that happening in Peter's life. Uh, we see him cower under pressure, which we'll discuss in a moment. But then we see later on how Peter deals with some pretty intense pressure. And there's a definite change that takes place. And I think it's because of this sifting that Jesus was going to allow him to go through. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. It, and another interesting thing is that Jesus says, I have prayed for you. You know, we touched on it, but the fact that, that Jesus, the Lord, the Son of God, would turn to the Father and, and pray for, for Peter or for us. Uh, he tells the apostles in John 14, 16, I have prayed to the Father for you. And it's, that's in regard to the sending of the Holy Spirit. But he mentions them in his prayers to God. And, and I think you know, that, that's also an amazing compliment. John 17 and verse 9 when he's praying to the Lord before the crucifixion, he says specifically, I pray for them. And he's talking about the apostles. And so we, we can read what he says about the apostles and what his desire is for, for them in John 17. So Jesus praying to God for, for an individual, again, just shows the love and the dedication, the care and the concern. And then um, as, as we've talked about, the prayer is that your faith should not fail. And so when, when we watch Peter go through the denial as you mentioned in Luke, says that the Lord looked at him in, in Matthew. And I think all the Gospels tell us that Peter ran out and wept bitterly. Um, and so that, there's that moment of concern. That, that, that's his dark moment. He, he had just told the Lord, no, no, you're wrong about that. I will never deny you. I will go to prison and I will die. Those are the two worst things that could possibly happen. Wherever you go, I will go. So he promises the Lord that. And then he realizes when the when the rooster crows, seems to be when the light flips on. And of course, Jesus looking at him certainly secured whatever notion he had about that. And, and how hard that must have been for him. But we know as you go through the book of Acts that we can watch him work like no man's ever worked for any cause in the world before. It seems like. Uh, no one works as hard as Peter. Except maybe Paul. Oh, yeah. But, he, he did say that, didn't he? <laughs> well, let me, but, so let me quantify yes, that from Acts before 3. Before Paul comes along, Peter right. is there taking the brunt and taking the lead. Yeah, from Acts 3 to Acts 12, he's yes. absolutely uh, running the show. You know, just as far as the scriptures reveal that to us. And so... The, the sifting of wheat, we don't want to miss this because uh, we're, we're, we're calling this three rounds with Satan. Um, if, if Jesus comes to you and says, Satan's about to sift you as wheat. Now, I know, you know, for me and you, because we've read the scriptures, I'm going to have to be vigilant on all sides. I, have, I would be suspicious of everything that didn't sound right or was leaning my heart in the wrong direction because the Lord's told me and I know it's coming. But for Peter, you know, what does he tie it to? Prison and dying. And so he's, he's already fought that, that battle in his mind, and he says, no, sir, I'm going with you no matter what. I'll even go to prison or I will die. And so let's just watch, just as we read it together in Matthew 26, how Satan chooses to sift him as wheat. It says in verse 69, now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and Jesus is on trial at this time. A servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. 
So the first round, with all the imagination that Peter could muster up, would he have ever seen this? Yeah. I think it's an interesting contrast when you get an idea of what sifting is. You're violently shaking something back and forth to, right. you know, <laughs> to get it to what you want it to be. And yet, you see Satan being what God described in the Garden of Eden, what Moses had to say. The serpent was the most subtle beast in the field. And that's the vehicle that Satan chose to deceive Eve. And so here he is. Uh, Peter's expecting this big frontal attack that he can face. It's right there. I can relate to it. I'll draw my sword and, you know, I'll do whatever it... I'll fight him down to the ground. He's not expecting a servant girl to come up and tell him, you were with Jesus. You look familiar. Yeah. <laughs> that is completely off guard. And so he doesn't even have time to really think about it. Peter is impetuous. We yes. know that. Mm -hmm. He often puts mouth in gear, or the mouth, uh, I'm blowing that. But anyway, he talks before <laughs> like he thinks. You just did. <laughs> too often. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost like just an instinctive reaction. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. That's right. You know, I do not know myself. what you are saying. And so that's, that's round one. Yeah. It was, that's, I didn't quickly, see that coming. As quickly as that came and went, that's round one. And Satan had just knocked him flat on the ground. Yep. He's got the first denial in. He sure does. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to be, Peter does not seem to be even know that he's in the ring. Verse 71, and when he had gone out to the gateway. So he's kind of slipping away now. He was warming himself by the fire. John tells us that there was a fire there burning. And he, he came in around other people to warm himself. Servant girl approaches him. The fire's going to put some light on his face. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things going on here. They can see his face. So this in Matthew 6, 26 and 71 says when he had gone out, to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also is with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. So now the heavy hitter comes, right? Yeah, and you <laughs> the, also... The servant girl. Yeah, here's another girl. Uh, you know, Satan's going to come at me with these servant girls? Not only that, you can see Satan turning up the pressure. Yeah. Uh, their assertions are getting more confident, more vocal. You were with him. I believe one of the other Gospels says, I saw you with him. Mm. So Man. now that's coming right home. So once again, having already taken this road, it's a little easier for Peter to deny again. And because the heat's on, the pressure's building a little bit, his denial is more forceful. More forceful, he denies with an oath this time. That's right, and That's just right. asserts, "I do not know him." That's right. So round one, he got his clock cleaned. He goes to his corner to through the gateway, and somewhere there, again, someone spots him. As we said, the girl says to him, "Oh, they say she says to the crowd, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth." Very specific. And so another part of this, if if you're in about and you're being sifted as wheat with Satan. The initial statement he made to the servant girl set him on a course. There's embarrassment tied to, okay, I told the first one I didn't know him. I actually do. You know what I mean? He's already set the tone for the way he's going to respond to this. And it's really hard for us after we've decided, as you said, he's impetuous. He, he spits it out immediately, but 
once you say it, you got to stand on it or you look like a fool. So I think that's also building within him. Now, now he has sworn, I do not know the man. There's nowhere else for him to go in the third round. There's nothing else he can do yeah. because he's already he's already said unequivocally, I I just got here. You know, I live in wherever I, I live in Utah. I just flew in here. Whatever he wants to tell her, make it as drastic as you can to make sure they don't believe that you were with him. So the lie has been told. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, I, I just he's committed sh- to that course of action. Yeah, and, and, and so for us again, there's always a moment in our lives when we can say, "Is this is this really true?" You know, I, I said it initially because I wasn't thinking about all that was involved or who might be hurt. But it, should I stay on this path? And it, there are moments he got he got three chances to say, "I yeah, I know him. He's my Lord and Savior, and I'll, I'll never leave him. He's my teacher, my rabbi, and my master." And and yet, there's never that moment where the light turns on and he says, "Oh, I know what's happening. Round three is about to start, and I better get serious." Because now he's already committed to his own failure. Well, two things you see here, too, is one, as as the pressure rises, you're less able to think. Mm. You're, you're in an emotional state now. Fight or flight. Yeah. And so it's hard for him to take a step back and reason. Now, now, wait a minute. Jesus said I would deny him three times, and I just did it twice. So, man, I need to... I'm getting out of here or whatever. <laughs> he is no longer rational. Yeah. Now it's all about protecting myself. And it also teaches us the lesson that once you take a step away from the Lord, that first denial on Peter's part, it's easier to take the second step. Then it's easier to take the third. And pretty soon your conscience is seared, your heart's hardened, and you don't even think about taking further steps. So it's a dangerous road that Peter's on right now. Yeah, the and Bible. He, he's under full attack from Satan, and you can see how deceitful and subtle and sly this attack is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got him right where he wants him. The Bible tells us that that's uh, backsliding, walking away from the Lord one step at a time. So verse 73, A little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. So it says a little later. Um, he's had some time. He thinks maybe the heat's off of him. He settles in somewhere at some point. But now we have those who stood by. There's a group who are now, they're kind of in agreement. He's definitely one of them because your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Another, I think, important statement for Christians. You're with Jesus because your speech betrays you. That's a compliment to me. You, In you, fact, yet the New Testament tells us how we are to speak. That's right. And so the way we talk to people especially these days, I think it should become more noticeable because now speech is becoming more coarse, much more rude, disrespectful, profane, people using profanity, just like everyday words out in public. No matter where they are, yeah. The way we talk should set us apart. But it's interesting, too, to look at how Peter's turning it up. Now here's a group of people. It's not just 
a servant girl, and then another servant girl. Here's a group of people, and they hit him with something tangible. The first time it was, I've, I've seen you before. Your, your face reminds me. And the other girl comes up and basically says the same thing. You were with, it, with him. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Now they're saying your speech is what's telling us who you are. Yep. You talk like they do, so you must be one of them. Well, what's he going to do to counter that? I'll make my speech not like theirs, <laughs> yeah. like the others, and I'll talk like you do. So now he's, he's being forced into becoming like they are in order to try to hold to this course of action he's taken. He's now trying to identify himself with the world, and that's a really bad place to be. It's the only way to get off the hook in his yeah. mind. Yep, he's got to keep on denying until he can force his position across. And by cursing and being vocal about it and shouting about it, that ought to convince him. Yeah. It got him got him out of there anyway. Yeah. So that's the third round with Satan, and he lost every round. Um, and like we said, it's as we think about it, it's because he prepared himself for a particular battle and didn't give Satan the credit that he can hit you from any side in any way when he's given permission, which Jesus told him he had permission. Um, I have an anonymous quote that says, better the devil you know than the devil that you don't. And and that fits perfectly to this. Uh, it's better in our minds, in the battle, if, if it, the devil we know shows up, we know what to do. But the, the one we don't shows up, we won't even see him, much yeah. less know he's attacking us. And he will do, he'll get you. He'll, he's going to look for a way that he can catch you unprepared. He can catch you off guard. And that's just a standard rule of warfare. You try to, when you're preparing to attack your enemy, you want to try to get them at a place where they're not expecting. They're not prepared for that, and you can catch them by surprise. But I think, you know, as we move into what Jesus did to deal with this situation and how Peter dealt with it. We don't know the specific sequence of events, but the next time we see Peter, he's back with the other apostles and and the remaining disciples. So he didn't abandon that completely. Uh, We find on the resurrection morning that he's there with the others and he's one of the two that runs to the tomb. Right. So they're all hiding out for fear, naturally. But Peter seems to be recovering. Yeah. He knows that, hey, I, I can't be hanging out alone. I, I need to go be with my brothers. And so he's there with them. And at that point, we see some really interesting things ha- happen as Jesus takes him through the remainder of this process. Yeah. And it's, it starts with, uh, I believe in, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. It, we're told that at the, <clears throat> excuse me, at the resurrection, the Lord appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the other apostles. Right. It's, yeah, and that's, that's what I have here. It's yeah. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas 
then by the 12. And if you look at the gospel accounts, I, I don't have that in front of me, but the angel of the Lord says to the women, go to Peter and the apostles. And yes. so Peter's name specifically, just imagine, you know, when the, when the women run in, they're like, the angel told us to come to Peter and tell Peter the Lord is risen. And, you know, what's he thinking? Either my name is Mud or, or you know, starting to all come around in his mind. Who knows what he would have thought when they said, the angel named you specifically, Peter, and the rest of the apostles. Uh, man, now that would just scare me to death because the last time I saw Jesus, I was running away crying and I failed him, you know. And so that to me, that brings us to the restoration that's that's granted to everyone through Jesus Christ. And, and that, that beautiful picture that not only can Peter be restored, but he can work valiantly for the Lord for the rest of his life. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful picture in in John 21 and many people have commented on this that the lord takes peter aside so here he is still dealing with peter on a unique basis from the other apostles cuz they didn't deny him oh yeah this is after his resurrection so peter yeah. is still feeling low he's i'm the one who denied him so he's he's in a kind of an odd place but that's where jesus said he would be and now he works with him. He, he takes him aside, and three times he asks him, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> three affirmations after three denials. That's right. And, of course, Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And at each response, Jesus tells him, feed my lambs. Which means strengthen, my lambs. strengthen the brethren. Feed my sheep. Yeah. Strengthen the brethren. Yeah. So here is Jesus restoring Peter. You're still what I want, Peter. You're still part of the work. And here's what I want you to do. You take care of my lambs, mm -hmm. my sheep. That's your job. And so there's an important lesson there, I think. We see the Lord ready and willing and diligent in restoring and reassuring Peter, building up his confidence again, that you're still in this, Peter. You're part of the team. I want you involved. But just the fact that he wants that, we would think, wait a minute, Lord, he denied you three times. Yeah. And and yet, he's still an apostle? You didn't demote him? <laughs> no. He's restored, and then he's put back to work. And that's a tremendous lesson, I think that even when someone faces a test and there may be failure in facing that test, that is no reason to give up hope. And even if that one is restored, uh, he needs to be reassured and given confidence that he's still part of the team. Um, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-8, through 8, in talking about an individual that that the Corinthian church had to disfellowship because he was involved in sin. He says, This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Hmm. So this person was disfellowshipped. He was disciplined and punished by the church according to the scriptures. He repents, which is the desired outcome. Now you need to receive him back. 
There's no more holding this over him. Right. When you forgive, you forget. One thing you can always use as a, as a guideline, if you tell someone, I forgive you of, of that, and then sometime later, it doesn't matter, 10 years, a week, you bring it up, then you haven't forgiven it. Right. When it's forgiven, it is never brought up again. That's what God does for us. That's right. He wipes the slate clean. So those who fall and repent and come back need to be reassured. They need to be restored. And they need to show, be shown that they're still part of the work, that they're still involved. We need their help just as they need our help. We can encourage each other. And really, that person's in a special position because Peter is. He's gone through this now, and having experienced it, he could say in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter could say that with authority because no one's going to say, uh, nice words, Peter. You, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, yes, I do. Yes, he does. I was the only one who denied the Lord, not once or twice, but three times. Yet he restored me. He purified my faith. And so I was able to do the work he wanted me to do. Yeah, it's amazing. After losing those three rounds and uh, just being destroyed in that battle, for him to recover, you know, gives the, he deserves all the credit in the world and, of course, the Lord and, and, the, and the role that he plays, both with giving Peter something to be comforted by, but then also the forgiveness in itself, as we talked about, is a glorious thing. And I've I heard a sermon a long time ago where, you know, the preacher did a good job to talking about elders and appointing elders. And he just said, um, you know, we're, we're looking to appoint elders. And he kind of just built this case against a man. And he said, now there's, let's, so we just go through this. I want to see what the congregation thinks. There's a man who uh, has a, a dirty job. Um, not many people think much of him, you know, his vocation, what he, what he does for a living especially. Um, he has publicly denied the Lord uh, over and over again, and everyone knows about it. And when he gets in trouble, he runs off and cries, you know, so he's just kind of building this case about this man, this imaginary man. And he says, now, when we're looking at the qualifications of elders, could the man I've given you, could he be a shepherd in the Lord's church? Can he serve as an elder? And the goal is to get people to go, nope, no way. Uh, that guy, he shouldn't even be in the church, much less an elder of the church. And then it, when it's done the right way, the preacher says, the apostle Peter did all those things. And in 1 Peter 5, he says that I, too, am a shepherd mm -hmm. uh, over the, the souls of which I'm a part of, you know, the, the local congregation where he was. And so not only did Christ forgive him, but he put him in the highest office that the church affords to, to a man to serve in that capacity. And so, I mean, was he forgiven or not? You, know, you tell me. And it goes back to what you said about forgiveness and the work of the church that we— if we're strong and we're faithful, one thing we do is we say, oh, yeah, person came forward and repented. They are forgiven, but we'll just keep an eye on them. Well, yeah. what for? 
What for? Who's did you you know what where Are, where is that written? Have we been appointed the FBI for Jesus? Yeah. No, we put you under surveillance. Show me the verse of who should be in charge of that. Yeah. Because it's it's not there. And yet I understand it on the natural level. We were burned and this this got ugly and you know, people's feelings were hurt. So what are we supposed to do? Just forget about it? Well, Yep. Yes. If you're going to forgive him. Yes. And what, and what happens if it happens again? Let's just say that we do it just the way God says, and it happens again, and we're injured again. Does that mean speak any less of those who, who properly forgave? Not at all. No. That's not on them. The emphasis goes back on the one who has abused that forgiveness and the love that was extended. And so, you know, this, I, I'm keeping my eye on you. That does, I don't see that at all with the forgiveness that God gives. And I don't think the church should be involved in that. I, you know, there are circumstances, there are cases that need to be closely examined. I, I wouldn't say I, I know every situation, but I do think we need to be careful about, as you said, I'll just be part of the FBI for the church, and it's not there. Well, if a man has proven himself faithful, as Peter did, and becomes a shepherd in a local congregation, as Peter did, he is now positioned in a unique way to minister to those who face similar trials. It, it is so powerful to be able to say, I've been there. Yeah. I've done that. Exactly. And here's what happened. Here's what I did. Here's what the Lord did according to his promise. And look how things turned out. That's a strong testimony. It's not to justify sin, but the lesson learned from sin can be powerfully used to teach others, to rebuke sin when it arises. Now you've got some moral authority because, yes, I did that, and here's what needed to be done to deal with that. So that person could possibly be even a stronger elder uh, having gone through that. Sure. That's not to say, you know, encourage someone, well, go experience sin so you know what it's like and you can take care of it. No. no. But when, if something like that happens, we, we wouldn't want it to in an eldership, but elders are people, they fall too. Just like preachers, just like deacons, like any other member of the church, we can be vulnerable to sin. And as you mentioned, the pathway is laid out on how to deal with that. Yeah, that's and right. And it's always the Lord's will that we come out stronger for it. Absolutely. You know, yeah, that's right. Paul encouraged us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God won't allow us to be tempted above what we're able, but will, with the temptation, may make a way of escape so that we can bear it. So God is not going to put you in a situation where you're being sifted and then just say, good luck to you. Hang in there, I'll be on the other side if you make it through. No, he gives help. He provides a way of escape. And he'll be there to help us with that. So the Lord is not leaving us on his own, on our own. We're, we should not be filled with fear, as Peter was. We should not feel alone, as Peter did. Our faith should not fail, and thankfully Peter's didn't. It took a knock but it came out stronger in the end, and that's that's the desired goal for us too when we go through trials. That's right. If you're purified for the glory of God, then something good has been accomplished. <clears throat> we do have trivia questions. we got to get to them. I, I think people are waiting. Trivia. 
What is your first trivia question for me? Okay, I'll just throw it right at you. Name the first murderer. <laughs> Satan. <laughs> well, in a spiritual sense, yes. I'm talking about a physical murder. Okay. And you know better than that, Danny. Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> Cain. Yes, indeed. Yep, Genesis 4, 8. Cain was in the field with Abel and he struck his brother and killed him. I, I want everyone to know, we don't, we don't know what these questions are. I, Kurt doesn't tell me what the questions are. I don't have time to prep for them. That, that's why it's fun. But uh, it does remind me of something. Do you know how long Cain hated his brother? Uh, if you're standing, folks, please take a seat. No, Danny, tell us. Cain hated his brother as long as he was able. Thank you, Danny. You're welcome. You're welcome to everyone. Yes. Now, we were talking about forgiveness a little earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a chance to apply it. <laughs> we can forgive you of that, Danny. <laughs> Thank you. Now it's forgotten. Don't you forget. I can't bring it up. I can't ask us any more. more no more Kane questions now. That's right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Question number one for you. Joseph refused to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. And what a glorious thing, you know, to stand up strong and do what's right in the Lord. What happened to Joseph next? Uh, he was framed. How so? Well, he he was... And here Satan catches you off guard again, as, as I think about it. He was in the house doing his work alone. Mm. And Potiphar's wife took advantage of that situation and apparently grabbed him. Oh, yeah. Because he took off running. Kudos to Joseph. Right. That's flee fornication, That's right. Paul says. But he left his uh, cloak in her hands, and so she brought everyone together. Look what happened. He came in here to abuse me, and I've got the proof. And so he wound up going to prison. That's right. Her husband, Potiphar, threw Joseph in prison. That's Genesis 29, verses 19 and 20. All right. Well, we're both one for one. Yes. Here we go. Your second one is... What did Paul say about a little leaven? What does it do? <laughs> well, every chef knows this. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's right. Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. Awesome. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, a little bit of sin will have profound consequences. That's right. It can affect everybody. It goes into every corner and every nook and cranny of, of wherever it's been placed, and it will make that, again, in the bread reference, it makes it all expand and grow the way it should when it's being baked. Uh, and, you know, what a, what a brief, simple statement that is has eternal truth to it in a spiritual light as we guard ourselves against sin. That Don't, don't kid yourself. You're not going to get this one little thing and then be satisfied. It always grows, and it's a cancer, and it destroys your spiritual life. So uh, it's, it's an easy statement. It makes sense on the physical, and yet it's so deep, mm -hmm. and we need to remember those things. The final question for today is we know, I think we do, we know what an apostle is, but what is an epistle? <laughs> uh, an apostle's wife. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, actually, that's not right. Oh, oh, well. At least I got back on it at you with a corny joke. <laughs> An epistle is a letter that is written to a specific person or group. That's right. Paul refers to his writings to the churches as epistles nine times in the New Testament. Uh, Peter says that all of Paul's letters are epistles in Second Peter 3.16. 
And just as an example, Paul says this in the second Thessalonian letter. He says, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write, 2 Thessalonians 3.17. And so it's a letter, um, and, and for us it's of spiritual concern, spiritual content that's given to an individual or the churches. So that is all very good. I think we did great. Um, looking at three rounds with Satan, I think for us as we close today, we, we need to be prepared for you and I, Kurt, to, to warn everyone that nothing, once permission is granted, nothing is off limits. And we see that with Job. We see it with Peter. His tactics are very difficult to pick up on. Although Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices, uh, but don't rule anything out. You know, things happen to us. There are difficulties in our lives. He will, he will attack you. If it's a frontal attack that he thinks will work, it's coming. If it's through your family and the people you love the most, it is coming. Again, if permission is granted. And so how can we be vigilant and aware? Well, to me, and Kurt, if you have something, I'd be happy to hear it. But to me, it's, is this drawing me away from God? That's the bottom line. That very first thought should be, what's, how is this going to affect my relationship with Jesus? And if it's a negative answer, then get away from it. That's right, because Jesus says, anything you choose over me uh, is a bad choice, including family, husband, wife, mother, father. Uh, and sometimes it comes to that, but acknowledging it for what it is, praying for those we love, uh, diligently working in the truth to be, to be a good example, uh, there's a lot that we can do. And I, caving into a sinful situation or becoming part of it or condoning it is never a good move because you've taken a step away from Jesus and, and you're losing around, and we don't ever want to be there. So thank you all very much for listening today. We certainly appreciate every last one of you. We know that your soul is precious and worth more than the world. We hope that you know that as well and that you love God with all of your heart. Have a wonderful day and be blessed in all that you do.